Welcome to the Filipino American Woman Project, also known as Tifa Project for short, a podcast show that features stories and life lessons told by American women of Filipino descent. We're your co-hosts, Jen Amos. And I'm Nani Dominguez. And thank you for joining us. If today's conversation resonates with you, text us and let us know at 415-484-8329. And if you want to show us some love, buy us boba at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Jen and Nani. It says coffee, but we love boba. Again, that's www.buymeacoffee.com slash Jen and Nani. Awesome. With that said, thank you all for your love and support. Now let's get into the show. Welcome back, but not just any welcome back because we have arrived to episode 100 of the Filipino American Woman Project. Yes, we're so excited. <laughs> Nani, I love how you can do like a million snaps with just like, I don't know how you do that with your fingers, <laughs> but like I can't, I could like barely do one on one hand. So that's just, yeah, I don't know how you do that. That's, yeah. I think it's partly also my nails because they're so long now, just like clicking together. So it's oh, see, that's the secret. <laughs> so I see, I can't even like grow out my nails. So kudos to you for being able to just like do life with those nails because <laughs> I, there's so many things I'm just like, I just can't like have long nails. But anyway, I wasn't planning on starting the show that way, but it went that way. <laughs> Let, let's go ahead and bring on our very, very, very special guest, Stacey and Salinas, who is the residential historian and co-founder of the Bolosan Center at UC Davis. So Stacy, welcome back to our show and also welcome to episode 100 of the Tifa Project. We're so happy to have you here. Yes. yes. Good to be here. Hello, everybody. <laughs> I just love your humbleness. Like, hi, everyone. I feel like I over-exaggerate in talking about you to compensate for just your kind, humble <laughs> nature. I'm like, it's Stacy. It's Stacy, everyone. She's amazing. Look her up. Oh, yeah. So the reason why we brought on Stacy is because you know, at least for me, Stacy was one of the initial people that had reached out to me in the early stages of the Tifa project back in, I think, mid 2017. And one of the early, early things you did for me, Stacy, is you really validated the work that I was doing on the show, you know, pre Nani times when you wrote a paper <laughs> about our show. So if you can recollect that time, just remind our listeners, like, you know, the initial stages of us meeting to, you know, the, the point where you felt like you you wanted to include the show in your education in the studies that you were doing at the time. I think I was in um, my second year of graduate school. I'm at UC Davis and there were no classes available for me at the time that actually spoke to what I was interested in. And I had taken most of the prerequisites already. And so I decided to take something outside of the history department and I chose to take feminisms course for an upper division one for undergrads. And I thought that would be my night to rest and learn more and just kind of relax. I think the class was at seven o'clock at night. Wow. Relax at seven o'clock at night. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> to me, I thought that would be relaxing to sit because I had taken uh, women's studies courses before as an undergrad. And so I thought, mm -hmm. oh, you would just be review and I probably need review. And what I found out was that what I was learning in history was so whitewashed. Hmm regards to American women's history, my understanding of gender and sex was so narrow. And it was an undergrad upper division course. And, you know, the professor 
I think Dr. Bales was just so generous and kind, and I had not been used to that type of informality in academia. And they allowed us to write our paper on something that was important to us that spoke to scholar activism. And I always wanted to know if there were Filipina Americans out there who were trying to make new platforms for Asian American women in general. And I just did a simple Google search and I found TFAO. And I thought, well, there's no harm emailing. There's like, I don't think that's passive aggressive at all. If I reached out and said, hello, how are you? My name is blah, blah. And so that's how it began. And I thought, well, I really would like to continue this relationship just because I felt as if I was talking to another cousin or family member. Just, it was, you know, and it probably helped that we were both from California. Um, so we needed to have West- dogs. And dogs. And we had the West Coast vibe, I guess. And yeah. both being Filipina. So it was just, it was just really nice because, you know, when you're in academia so long and you're always told that, you know, you're not good enough, it was just nice to hear from someone else that like, oh yeah, I also want to try and explore something that has to do with being Filipina and Filipina American and celebrate that. And I just wasn't used to all that type of openness and saying what I am with someone else. Yeah. No, because, you know, apparently race doesn't exist for some people. So you kind of have to put that on the back burner with that experience in the professional yeah. setting. I'm colorblind. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so it was nice to say, yes, I am Filipina. And there are other Filipinos who want to talk about what it means to be brown in America. Yeah. So I wrote that paper. It made me happy. I realized I don't think I can do history as just history anymore. After that experience with feminisms and realizing that there are other Filipinos who wanted to you know, participate in this I don't know, this movement of reclaiming our identity. And so I think that was like the starting point of me saying, I need to do something else outside of history. I need to explore what else there is in regards to how I can help my community. So that was actually part of my transformation from just, you know, me wanting to be a scholar for women's history, turning into a scholar activist and giving myself the okay that if I have the support of other Filipinas, then I'll be okay. You can do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, Stacy, I feel like I need to hear that more often because sometimes I just feel like I'm bugging you. <laughs> I mean, not like in a bad way, but it's like, it means a lot for me to hear that kind of over and over again. And I feel like you say it differently every time I ask because, and I, I tell on the show every now and then that, you know, I wanted to create a platform where we celebrated who we are. And I had this fundamental belief, and even though I didn't know anyone yet, that there were other Filipino American women who wanted to, you know, reclaim their identity and celebrate and own who they are and take up space. Because this is kind of a a theme that I'm going to keep saying now moving forward is that a lot of us are afraid to take space, but the reality is we already are taking space. And so we have to own it, but we need to own it together because just like what you mentioned, a lot of, you know, in your studies and in your environment in school, you know, you mentioned it, like you just felt like you weren't enough. And so we need to band together to have more people like us to say, like maybe collectively, I mean, individually, we don't feel like we're enough, but collectively we are, you know, and we need to come together with that common thread to feel like we're enough. You know, we need to hear that from one another. So it means so much to me that one, you've reached out, you know, two, you know, our relationship was impactful to you. And three, just your continuous support and sisterhood, you know, and continuing to, you know, fight for, you know, just the celebration of us and validating us, especially with everything that's going on now, which of course we'll get to in a second. 
in the world of academia, I think that is at the heart of what's behind the fight that you see now for ethnic studies and, you know, how loud people are getting about that and having those personal experiences is so just tied to that. And I think that that's what's so important about having ethnic studies as part of the curriculum, as just part of regular curriculum, not only in college, but even before. And also, I think that hearing that that was your experience and how you guys connected before I was a part of the show just also really speaks volumes to how far we've come, how far our community has come in terms of, you know, creating space for ourselves and taking up space and not only taking up space, but like utilizing the space that we're taking up in more proactive ways or in more intentional ways. And it does take that like community building or making those connections in order for us to see like, oh, this work is important, regardless of what I'm being told by my like white professors or, you know, whoever else it is that's telling you that this work is arbitrary or, you know, it's not going to matter in the long term or whatever the messages are that you've received. It is important. And being able to have those open conversations about identity is important, especially as a hyphenated American trying to find your place. Yeah. Beautifully said. It's nice being in a circle of community all the time. And then prior to me joining or helping with the Belosan Center and me, you know, getting out of the history program and, you know, transforming into a cultural studies PhD student, it's just nice to get through these circles because now I know that I'm allowed to mm. and it's not seen as unprofessional. So it's, it's just very heartwarming to see my transformation, um, not just mine, but also that I was bringing other sisters with me as I was changing. So it's nice to see that with Tifa as well. Oh, I'm so proud of all of us. <laughs> I'm so proud of all of us being here a hundred episodes later. It just makes me feel really good inside. And, you know, Stacey, I really liked how you sort of described our show as like kind of a new form of media or a new space to, you know, create space for us, right? I think what I've come to find is that we have to find a combination of sitting at other people's tables and also creating our own. And this is what the show is about is kind of creating our own table. And what you have created at the Below Sun Center is creating a safe space for us to preserve our history and collect our history, right? And so we have that common theme in mind of, in a sense, being trailblazers, which the reality is a lot of Filipinas are trailblazers. And a lot of the show has been a collection of trailblazers. And so the whole idea, I mean, my hope is that, you know, the more and more people that hear about the show, the more they realize that they too are a trailblazer or can be a trailblazer and to come along for the ride because it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. It's challenging, but I think it's necessary and we need to do it together. You know, that's one thing I've learned in this experience is that like, you know, part of why I'm so grateful Nani came on as a co-host because it is hard to kind of do this on your own. At least when it comes to the Filipino culture, I feel like we are better together. You know, we are better together when we realize that we need each other. So moving on, we cannot continue this episode without acknowledging what's been going on right now in America. And that is all the anti-Asian crimes. And you know, even here in Virginia Beach, my group of friends, we have been texting each other because 
there has been some anti-hate crimes here as well, like in my own backyard now, you know, like in the local restaurants where there's a situation of a Korean restaurant and their neighboring restaurant was harassing them saying, go back to China. And there seems to be this weird notion that all Asians are Chinese and we all carry this coronavirus. And I'm still trying to find my words with all of this. And I think a lot of us are as well. And so, but I, I do know with you, Stacy, you know, being the historian, the incredible historian, you know, that you are, you mentioned this a little bit offline that in your studies so far, you are coming to find that not much has changed. You know, even though this seems new and this is now in, you know, in the limelight, this isn't new. And I'd love to get your thoughts on that. And if you're open to sharing. <laughs> It's heavy. I, I am studying for my exams, my PhD exams, which will basically say whether or not I deserve the PhD. Wow. Um, one of the... <laughs> you deserve it. Okay. <laughs> if anyone deserves it, it's you. <laughs> Just want to throw that in there. Yeah. We will print a PhD, even though it's not certified. We will... We certified. Exactly. Okay. Just so you know, we have a backup ready for you. Just so you know, but go on. <laughs> no, thank you. No, so... The nice thing about cultural studies is you get to pick, in a way, the topics or themes you want your exam to be about. And one of my topics besides gender and feminism is about Asian American labor history. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, again, nothing has changed in the three, what, three, four centuries of Asians being present in what would become the United States. I mean, you had outbreak of plague in Hawaii and in San Francisco. And in that, that's in the mid to late 19th century. And what did they do? The state, they decided to just like evict Chinese immigrants mm. and other people who are sharing that space. Because it's not just Chinese who are sharing Chinatown. You know, that's where all Asian immigrants were forced to be shoved in because of segregation. And they evicted all of them and then burned their town down. And, you know, they were homeless, those communities. And so where did they go? Right. And there's a history of burning out Asian immigrants from whatever enclaves they could make for themselves. And, you know, Los Angeles has this as well. And the one in Los Angeles, I think in the late 19th century was over a Chinese prostitute. And if you read the newspapers about the Chinese massacre in Los Angeles, her name isn't mentioned. It just says Chinese prostitute. So hmm. this exoticization and hypersexualization of the Asian body as something that's meant to do sex work, that's forced into sex work, you know, and we're hearing about, you know, people are making excuses like, oh, well, it's a massage parlor. You know what that means? They kind of had it coming. And those kinds of conversations, it's nothing new. And the Chinese massacre in Los Angeles in the late 19th century, it says it's the same story because it was white vigilante justice squads and police who were responsible for letting that get out of hand. You know, and it's not just in California. They had this in like the Wyoming Chinese massacres along what would become the Pacific Railroad, all the mining towns, Chinese immigrants. And then there are also Korean immigrants and Japanese immigrants who are following the same path. They're just getting burned out of their homes or out of their jobs and then being murdered for it for being different. And then, you know, like when the Civil War ended and white planters wanted to replace African-American labor with something, they chose to import Chinese immigrants. And again, there's just so much violence in a history of, you know, BIPOC peoples being used as expendable labor. Mm -hmm. And then when they don't want them anymore because they define them as other, the legal system does that. And that means society gets to have their, their need and desire to be violent against people of color that gets validated through like racist philosophies. And then it's really terrible because it's just as 
never ending cycle of violence just to exclude people based on, you know, terrible tropes of what race is to people. So mm-hmm. <sighs> it's a lot because I'm like staring. I have a my whole section of Asian American history. I have to read from my exam. I'm like looking at it. And, you know, one of the first books is Ben, I think Benson Tong's Unsubmissive Unsubmissive Women about the Chinese prostitutes in San Francisco that were trafficked there. And the Chinese immigrant women who tried to make a living through sex work. And it's just like, they were also murdered and harassed by white men who wanted to exploit them for their bodies. And that was was more than a century and a half ago. Mm. Ah, It's a lot. It's... I feel like we need to take a moment to pause or something, you know, like I I don't have anything clever or funny, you know, to say to spin it. Not that I want to spin it. That's not, that's not kind to our community. It's humor is my coping mechanism is what I've realized. And it's a lot. I mean, I'm speechless, quite honestly, Nani, (laughs) this is where I usually try to throw it off to you. I think that there's just a lot to dive into here. And there is such a longstanding history of, you know, the fetishization of Asian women and how the U.S. military has really been (laughs) a catalyst for training that mindset into people, especially white men in this country. And the fact that, you know, something like the Atlanta massacre can happen and, the police can try and humanize someone like that by interviewing his grandma and saying, oh, he was having a bad day. Like, I'm sorry, is that how we release our anger when we're having a bad day by going on killing sprees in massage parlors saying that you were trying to eliminate your distraction or whatever he called it? And yeah, that's just the reality of the situation is that they've been trained. Men in this country have been trained to take out their rage and their trauma and their pain and their frustrations with themselves on Asian women's bodies specifically, which is is horrible. And not, you know, aside from women specifically, I'm also reading or listening to on Audible, The Making of Asian America by Erica Mm -hmm. Lee and I included it as the recommended resource in either last week's newsletter or the one before that. But it's just such a good resource to be reading right now because it really dives into, I mean, I didn't even know 75, 80% of what I'm learning through this book and what, you know, I can't recall specific examples off the top of my head right now, but what keeps resurfacing over and over and over is that every time you know, when Asians would try and make the enclaves for themselves here or make space for themselves here when they first started migrating over, it's like they were historically have been blamed for every like plague or virus or like health concern that has been released in America that could be similar to coronavirus. And so this is again, not new. And we were just interviewing in our last interview, Jen's friend, Leah, who was talking about her first experience when she first moved from Toronto to Florida and how at eight years old on the playground on her first day of school, some little white kid came up to her and was like, Chinese don't belong here or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, that's horrible. But what is more concerning to me is like, how has an eight-year-old boy learned that language and internalized it to the point where he's in school, projecting that onto people that aren't even Chinese, you know, that just goes to, it just speaks volumes about how embedded those mindsets and that racism and that hate really is in American culture. And 
again, it's just exhausting and overwhelming and (laughs) it feels impossible at times when you think about things, you know, when you look around today at what's going on, like, what is the answer? How do we fight this? Because it seems like we're all trying so hard, whether it be through platforms like this podcast, whether it be through academia, whether it's the community organizing work that we're doing, you know, there's all these spaces that you can get involved in, but it's like, it's not making a difference. We still feel so invisible. We still feel so silenced and so just dismissed as a community. And so how do you, again, combat that? How do you go about changing that in on like a magnified level? And it's just honestly really an exhausting thing to think about right now, I think for all of us. And I think it puts us all at a loss for words. But I trust that we will, you know, come together and through having hard conversations like these, we will find those words and we will make that change and start to make that movement, but it's a slow process. And so you also have to think about how you're going to maintain that stamina, how you're going to maintain that motivation and what the game plan is, I guess. Yeah, to piggyback off of what you said we are at a loss of words. Like since I started to see everything on social media and hear from my friends, I was speechless. But hey, like the reason why we're showing up right now is because even though we don't know what to say, we're going to try anyway, because we have to, right? We have to. And I feel so fortunate to, wow, I just got emotional. Jeez, that was good. No, but uh, we have to. Like, I'm so grateful for a platform like this where it's not just Nani and I talking on a mic, but it's our listeners and our guests engaging with us and, you know, having dialogue with us and really sharing their own insecurities and, you know, maybe why they somehow felt conditioned to be quiet. And, you know, we're here to say that, yeah, it's still hard. There's still a lot of things internally that we have to work through, but we need to do it together. You know, like, I think we need to come together and band together and find our voice together because, we just do like, we talk about this often on the show, just as how the, with every episode, I feel more responsible to show up and speak up and becoming a better communicator, because I think that's the name of the game. We tend to listen to people that are more eloquent, that are, you know, clever with their words. And I want to be able to use my voice as a force for good to, you know, help our community find their voice as well. You know, I think that's really in my opinion, our responsibility and why we show up as hard as it is right now. Like I feel uncomfortable, you know, even just talking about this out loud, but I know I have to, because I'm still Brown, you know, like I'm not going to not be Brown, like no matter, you know, what environment I'm going to be in, no matter what environment I'm going to assimilate to, like my experiences are going to always be fundamentally different from my white husband, you know? And so before I get lost in that and in the white community I'm in, it's so nice to feel grounded here. You know, it's so nice to feel grounded with all of you, even if it's virtually. (laughs) Uh, There was this book that led me to understand what community means. And community is really a feeling of like, you're part of something greater. And that doesn't mean you have to be physically around people. It's a feeling. And I feel like that's what we've been able to create here on the Tifa project is that feeling of community, you know, where all of us, many of us are trailblazers and feel like we're, you know, paving this path alone to be able to have a network like the one that we've built to share our collective experiences that it feels lonely, but together, you know, together and sharing our stories, we don't feel as lonely and we can have more conviction to show up and speak up and to, you know, to do it together. So yeah, I think that's where I'm at right now. I think, I feel like that's my thoughts on 
on all of that. I'm thinking of how to answer Nani's question about what do we do? I had the same question from an audience member uh, from my workshop. I'm teaching about BIPOC women's feminism and history in the United States mm-hmm. and immigrant women's feminisms. And one of the students posed, or audience members posed the same question. It's like, well, we understand the why, Manang Stacy. It's like, mm-hmm. well, and how, how do we move forward? And that's the thing. People don't understand the why, mm-hmm. right? Outside of our community, even members of our own community, people don't understand the why because it hasn't been contextualized for them in a package that public education and, you know, mainstream media sources allow for us to consume you know, to know about Asian immigrant history and the legal system and immigration services and how it's denied since the 19th century, you know, the coming of and settling of Asian American families here in the States, that's not contextualized. And so if you don't have that framework of understanding origin and the push and pull factors of empire, and settler colonialism, then people won't understand why Asian Americans or people of Asian descent are in the United States. Yeah. And so it will continue to blur and make invisible the quote unquote model minority. And so, you know, I wanted to make sure I got that across that the reason why I wanted to do this workshop was because I knew a lot of kids who look like me could not take these courses. You can't take yeah. Asian studies. You can't take ethnic studies. You can't take women's and gender sexuality studies. You can't take Black and African-American studies. You can't take Native American and Indigenous studies because you don't have the resources. It's too hard. And just to get into that that seat in the classroom is almost impossible. And if it's, it's the turnout that you've seen exactly. with your workshops where yeah. there's like hundreds of people... <laughs> joining that's a clear example of how difficult it is to take a course like this and especially for people like me who are not in school who didn't go to traditional college even to have the chance to find a course like that so yeah just to interject quickly I really appreciate that you are doing these workshops and I hope that they will be recorded for you know later reference again and again and again because it's such valuable information and again if we don't have the framework to contextualize the why even people from our own community don't get it you know they just are like oh yeah that's the way things are and that's how they've internalized things as normal which is also problematic (laughs) right it is yeah and I know it's hard to just even want to open a book Mm -hmm. pandemic because that requires labor that requires you to emotionally engage with the storytelling that's happening in those pages um, and so that was my answer to that audience members that we have to contextualize the why and we have to do it in truly liberal abolitionist democratic spaces. I need to democratize knowledge for our community or be part of that process because I know I don't think that there will be many Filipina Americans entering academia because I've been in academia for a long time and I do know the community, but again, there aren't that many of us. And so First, you have to contextualize the why this is happening to us and know our history and teach it as freely as we can in the spaces we can. And then we take that information and that research and that data, which is what the Belosan Center is. Um, it's, a, it's a research center for the community. And then you take that information with us and that data to the state and city and county. And that's where we demand policy. So what we do at the Belosan Center is research, education, outreach, and policy and advocacy. That is usually the three-step tier 
in order to get things done and to have representation. But of course, you know, in order to get that done, you have to have kids who look like us do the work too. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the hardest thing because that's the first initial step. We just need kids who want to do that work. And as we've seen with the Bulletin Center interns and other grassroots organizations and other media platforms like TFAO, is that there are people who want to do it. It's just that it's really hard to continue doing that in a pandemic as well, especially when you're being harassed and seen as other and you have no viable income. Mm-hmm. And again, it has everything to do with the white nation state being completely fascist and patriarchal in all the ways it perceives and acts on people of color. So that's my answer as to what we can do. It's just, it's a long process, but I will never forget what a white professor told me once. And I know they meant it out of the goodness of their heart. It was when I was starting with the Bulosan Center and I was also working with Pacific Atrocities Education and I wanted to help other people and continue teaching on the side. They told me that, well, Stacey, you can't have change overnight. You have to chip away at it slowly. And that hurt because the Bulosan Center got a million dollars from the state within a year because our students and our, the faculty who supported us and our community who supported us and the graduate students who were part of the committee, founding committee, we did that. And that was a year. And a year is pretty fast as we've seen with the pandemic. And then to tell me you have to chip away at it slowly, how many Stacy's can I produce that will have a viable income and a means available in order for that change to be chipped away at, right? That bothered me because you're telling me I have to wait and I have to be patient and we don't have time because there's only so many of us, you know, around at what's happening. Exactly. There's only so many of us in academia. There's only so many of us who can do grassroots for so long before we get knocked down. And so I will never forget that. I know that they meant to tell me you have to be patient and that's not how the world works and you're doing good, but you have to do it gradually. There's no getting around it. That will always stick with me that, no, I need to actually move in a healthy way forward. And I can't have people tell me I have to wait my turn because I'll, I'll be gone by the time I figure out that, oh, well, I did do a little bit. Maybe I could have done more. I, I can't wait for that confidence to set in in order to push forward for my community. Absolutely. And I think that that ties into what Jen always says about, you know, instead of waiting for permission to sit at the table, you have to create your own seat at the table. And instead of saying like, oh, this is the process that I have to follow in order to create change. It's like, no, I'm going to find a workaround. I'm going to find a way around that. But again, there's no like straightforward answer to that. It's something that you have to figure out on your own. And it's something that is going to take a lot of trial and error. And even if you know, you are the smartest person in the world or the most innovative person in the world, it is still going to be a slow and gradual process, which is difficult to grapple with, especially in a moment like this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks for saying that, Nani, because it's like, you know, part of my background into getting into entrepreneurship and being self-employed for the last decade is because I just couldn't hold down a job. (laughs) Like I got fired from four jobs consecutively and I just didn't really find any, I guess, space in, in the workplace that felt right for me. So, you know, I feel fortunate that I got into sales. I feel fortunate that I was able to start my own business, but it was an uphill battle because it was hard to find anyone in, you know, doing what I was doing, you know, and to have that resource and to have mentors, you know, to be successful. Fortunately, you know, today I do have mentors and I I feel like I'm, you know, growing professionally faster than, you know, I could have ever imagined, but I mean, most of my mentors are white, (laughs) you know, they're white men, you know, and, 
And this is part of why I do this podcast. You know, this is, it's kind of, it kind of reminds me of our conversation that we had with our D's. Was that two episodes ago now, Nani, where just being in the entertainment industry, most of her mentors were white men and it is what it currently is, but it doesn't have to stay that way. And, you know, sometimes, most times we have to learn to stop asking for permission and we have to start cutting corners. We have to get creative. We have to get resourceful. I mean, resourcefulness is something I learned from my mom. She will keep every item in her house until it's broken. If not, unless she duct tapes it, (laughs) but like I've learned resourcefulness and I, I credit a lot of my you know, I guess business success or my survival, I don't know what you call it, (laughs) you know, to my mom and her resourcefulness of, you know, being a widow with, you know, three kids under 11, you know, when we lost dad. And so, you know, I, I think I say all that because we have more power and resources and strength within us than maybe we realize. And I think this is the time to say you you already have it in you, you know, you already are enough. And even if society and history and culture and the patriarchy and fill in the blank tells you you're not, you know, we're, we're here to tell you, you have it like, and if you need to be reminded, that's what this community is for. We all feel broken. We all are going through a hard time right now, but together we can find the words, we can find the strength, we can find the resources, but we have to we have to do it together. And so this is why I couldn't, you know, do episode 100 with just Nani, although Nani, you are enough, <laughs> but we had to bring on Stacy too, because she was a part of this from the very beginning. <laughs> I like that you waved. We have to do this together. And I just feel so grateful that our listenership has been so receptive and engaging with us because, you know, again, it goes back to acknowledging how far we all have individually grown to be in the space we are now to talk about this and, and to find our words together, you know? So. Yeah. And to find those innovative ways to create change. I mean, I think that what Stacy touched on earlier about having to open a book or study something, reading a book takes emotional labor. And that's the part that stops most people from wanting to do it. But if we're sharing that same context or information here on a podcast, that can reach a lot more people, a lot easier, a lot quicker. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, that's one example of finding an innovative way to speed up the process, you know, and it just takes that like out of the box kind of thinking on how can I a absorb this information, B contextualize it and C share it widely, you know, in order to rally other people behind me. Yeah. Well, thank you both for showing up and, you know, Nani, I was, I'm trying to remember, was it the last episode anyway? Oh yeah, that's right. So at Unipro, so I was watching the replay of our workshop and I remember you shared from our first phone conversation of us getting to know each other that you said, I'm not here to give the life lessons. I need the life lessons. And I can't believe that was almost two years ago now. And, you know, I just want to acknowledge you and I want to thank you for having been part of this journey with me up until this point. And just to see the incredible individual you've become and now entering a new chapter in your life of motherhood. And I'd like to believe that the show has given you some kind of foundation for when you do become a mom. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm sure your son will enjoy be like, oh, my mommy was on the radio or, you know, like <laughs> as he starts to conceptualize like words and 
you know, listen to of your course. show. Right. And yeah, I just needed to acknowledge you and let you know that I appreciate you and how far we've come and how much more we'll have to go the next 100 episodes that we'll do together. So yes. no, I'm excited. The honor is mine. And, you know, thank you as always for giving me the opportunity to be here. I think that there's not another way that I could have had that growth without this platform, without being a part of this project, without knowing you. Um, and I think that I'm really looking forward to motherhood and how, you know, in the earlier seasons of this project, we interviewed a lot of moms and how we saw that that just really brought out a different side of motivation in them to know their own identities, to be able yeah. to pass that on to their kids which I am grateful for having done earlier, you know, before I got pregnant. But when I do, you know, have my kids here, it is going to be top priority for me to instill also that in them and for them to know where they come from and who they are and to not have to go through that whole crisis that I had to go through in order to find these answers. So yeah, I couldn't have done it without you. Well, yeah, you got me speechless there. <laughs> With that said, I think our goal for today, or at least my goal for today is to remind all of you that you matter. And I want to continue to solidify that with every conversation we have and every guest that comes on and every email we have and just everything. So without further ado, I'm really excited to present our new logo for the Filipino American Woman Project. And for our viewers, you're going to be able to see me share my screen. <laughs> So I'm going to share it really kind of for my reference, but it's good for the listeners as well if they want to like watch this. So yes, shout out if you're watching on YouTube to you. Yeah, exactly. So now, now people are like, wait, there's a YouTube channel. Yes, we have a YouTube channel, y'all. So surprise. So what I'm going to do is first and foremost, some of you have, if you've been following our show in chronological order, or you joined us in the recent episodes, we have a membership site now called biasboba.com. And it's a really, really fun platform. A lot of podcast shows, when they do some kind of, you know, kind of monetary thing for their show, they typically ask you to like be a member and commit to some kind of monthly thing. But for us, the good thing with biasboba.com is that like, if you just feel compelled to bias Boba, I'm putting quotations for our podcast listeners here. <laughs> you could actually just do a one-time payment. And because of that, because of your support, we are able to be able to fund the show because in the meantime, my business, US Vet Wealth and everything I do with my husband is the primary funder of this podcast from the very beginning. So shout out to my husband for supporting me and doing this project because, you know, especially since I moved out to the East coast, this has been really one of the ways that I've truly been able to build community and it set me up for success for the pandemic when everything <laughs> shut down. So this still turned out to be my social life, but anyway, biasboba.com is just a great platform for if you want to support us monetarily, even if it's just for one time. But for the people that have contributed so far, we have been asking their feedback as well as our newsletter, our subscribers on our newsletter. So once again, if you know, if you want to be a part of our latest updates and part of engage with us, our newsletter is really a great way to do that. But I'm going to go ahead and share my screen to give you all a snippet here on what goes on on biasboba.com if you decide to join us on there. Obviously, we don't require it. I'm not going to force you to give us money. It's really just if you feel like you're in a great place to financially support us, like this is a great way to do this. And, and so anyway, I'm going to share my screen and just talk to you first and foremost about our like 
the reason why we put this logo together, because I want you as a listener to look at this logo and know why we chose it and know why we revamped it. So first and foremost, the history of the logo, to be quite honest, is I put it together like on the fly. Like I remember, and I remember this specifically now because Stacy is requiring me to do a timeline of when this show started. So I was like, oh my gosh, like I have to go back to things. Like, so anyway, I remember December 27th, 2016 was when I first <laughs> launched. Yeah, I know specifically now. Cause I always say like December, December, 2016, but because Stacy has given me homework to put together this timeline for an upcoming paper <laughs> that you all will probably have access to in the future. So fun teaser there for all of you. December 27, 2016 was the day that I launched the Filipino American Woman Project on Facebook. And I remember it was like between Christmas and that day, December 27, where I literally spent an entire, like, I think weekend or two days at least just creating this whole brand. Like I, I had an idea, I had a vision for, for this. I knew that I wanted to work with like, you know, Filipino American women who um, had a collaborative spirit, who were generally enthusiastic about life and wanted to be articulate, wanted to speak up, wanted to share their story. And the reason why the initial logo is the way that it is, is because I literally just kind of slapped it together. I didn't want to put a person on there because we all look so different. You know, we all look so different. So I, I didn't want it to be a specific, like, you know, silhouette of someone. I wanted it to be a symbol. And I decided to go with this. I'm going to totally butcher this. Wait, give me a second. Sambagita flower. Sambagita flower. Okay, let me say that again. So I wanted to choose the Sambagita flower, which is the national flower of the Philippines for a specific reason. And I'll get into that here in a little bit. But I got like, totally got like a, like a stock photo of it. <laughs> I slapped that on. The words of Filipino American Woman Project. The reason why I chose that name at the time is one, because like the domain name was available, the filipinoamericanwoman.com, but also because it's like, you know, despite all my branding marketing experience, I was like, that's a pretty good generic name. Like I'll go with it because it's not really that generic if you think about it. And so I went with that and then I realized like gray looked good on yellow. So because, and I chose yellow because it's the yellow on the Filipino flag. And also yellow is a gender neutral color. And I wanted to make sure that, you know, our brand also accommodated our non-binary listeners. And anyway, I slapped that all together and I just kind of ran with it. You know, I kind of just ran with that logo for till now, which is what, four or five years later. That's just crazy. And it's so funny because I feel like someone should have critiqued my logo by now because it's basically like very generic, but we had one listener, Nani, tell us. <laughs> tell us that they actually liked the logo. So um, anyway, with all that said, and I think that so far people have just been so like relieved and excited to find the podcast that I think the art is like the last <laughs> thing that they're thinking about. So this is just, you know, revamping our logo is just an added bonus and something that will make it more yeah. um, visually appealing when they go into their podcast app to listen or go to our website or see the newsletter or what have you. But I think up until this point, at least for me, it's really been like the last thing that that's on my mind, you know, because you're just so excited to dive into the content of the show or the newsletter or whatever you're looking at. So yes, this is just a nice added bonus and I'm extremely pleased with it. And I hope all of you are too, because you guys helped us choose this and create yeah. this. So well, thank you for sharing that our listeners' standards are very low when it comes to our design <laughs> because they're just so relieved <laughs> that a show like this exists. Good to know. Maybe I didn't have to update the logo. I'm just kidding. No, I'm really glad. It felt right for me. I felt like it was time it was to, time. to yeah. 
update it for sure. So anyway, I'm going to share my screen for our YouTube listeners here and just start getting into the breakdown of the logo before I show it to everyone. So here we go. If anyone decides to even you know, like buy us one cup of boba, you can get access to a lot of our private posts that we're putting on this platform. Don't mind the link on top. We actually got the domain name biasboba.com because we are boba drinkers. I mean, I am a coffee drinker. I did drink coffee today. I drink coffee every day, but for the context of our show, we like boba. So we're just going to go with that. So anyway, I'm going to get to the breakdown behind the design. So as I mentioned, yellow, the yellow color is inspired by the yellow in the national flag of the Philippines. Also, because it is gender neutral, we wanted to represent you know, our listeners who are all identify as non-binary. We chose the Philippines national flower, the Sambiguita, because for us, it symbolizes growth community. Because if you've seen Sambiguita flowers, they usually blossom in batches. However, we chose a single flower for this to represent the individual, the Filipino American woman. And so in addition to the growth and community that the flower represents, we also believe that the flower represents softness and strength of the Filipino American woman. <laughs> exactly. There is a softness and a strength about you. Like both can coexist. You can be loving, you could be nurturing, you could be compassionate, but you could also be headstrong, ambitious. You know, you could be everything that you want to be. You can have feminine and masculine energy within you because you already have it and you can own it. So I just feel very proud of that. And I'm curious to know from both of you as well, like, well, Donnie, let me start with you. When you think about the Sambiquita flower, whether it's the way I explained it or the way that you look at it, like, what are your thoughts when you think about the Sambiquita flower? Actually, I have a very personal connection to the Sambiquita. I was like probably 15 when I got my first tattoo, but I did it, you know, illegally in the back <laughs> of like a barbershop or something. And it looks like <laughs> shit. Um, I've never gotten it covered up, but I just did it as like a rebellious act because I asked my parents if they would co-sign for it and they were both like, hell no. So I was like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. You know? <laughs> anyway, but my first tattoo, like real tattoo that I was going to get when I turned 18 and I was allowed to do it by myself, my grandma had actually agreed to get it with me. And so I wanted it to be something representative of my Filipino identity, AKA my connection with her. And so I chose the Sempagita and she actually ended up passing away from stage four cancer Wow! three days before my birthday, before my 18th birthday. And so her funeral was actually on my birthday and she had already told everyone in our family that she was going to do it with me. Like she was still down, even though yeah. she was on her deathbed. <laughs> so yeah, that symbol holds a really special place in my heart. And I think that's maybe another reason why the art that you chose did really speak out to me when I found it. And I still got the tattoo before the funeral. I made my appointment and I went wow. over there and I got it. So in spirit, I know that she has it with me <laughs> matching like we were supposed to. <laughs> So yeah, that is my personal kind of story behind the Sampaguita. Nani, that's the first time I'm hearing this. <laughs> I know. I can't believe I've never told you that. <laughs> and now our listeners know, oh my God, y'all hearing this for the first time. I had no idea, first of all, that you had a Sampaguita like tattoo. Yeah. Yeah. And in my ear here. Uh, and how you have a personal connection with it. Uh, it's just everything, everything. Stacey, I... I thought I'd ask you as well, like when you think of the Sambiguita flower, like what, what does it mean for you? Oh, that was a beautiful story, Nani. Yeah. Anything with our elders makes me turn into like a mush ball. <laughs> yeah. Same. <laughs> there's, there's a saying about Elecana women. It's that we don't cry. 
So if I am internally a mush ball, then you <laughs> hit one of my, you know, <laughs> Uh, so yeah the sampagita for me it's a variation of jasmine flower Mm -hmm. yeah that is one of my favorite scents in the entire world anything that smells like jasmine or gardenia my favorite boba drink is jasmine milk tea yeah (laughs) look at all these things i'm learning about you both wow is my favorite but no sampagita just reminds me of of daily city because the manong uncle next door he grows them Wow. Front yard in the front of his house. He grows Sampaguita. His wife also worked with my mother at the hospital in Laguna Honda Hospital in San Francisco. They used to carpool together. But, you know, whenever you walk by the front of our houses, you smell Sampaguita. And this smell also brings me back to when I would visit the Philippines and when I would see my grandmother. My grandmother helped raise me because my parents were all day. That's what it reminds me of. It reminds me of gardens of our elders and the safety I feel when I smell that scent. I have it everywhere. I have the jasmine and gardenia scents everywhere in my apartment. It's my favorite scent. So when I smell that, I just remember my elders. So it's just safety, I think, knowing that the community is nearby, that our flower hasn't died. Oh, wow. I feel like I got home. (laughs) I do love poetry, but I mean, um, but yeah, that's what it reminds me of. It reminds me that I'm safe. Yeah. Um, Wow. I feel like I got lucky with this flower, but I think it wasn't an accident. Okay. So I'm, just, I'm just trying to tell myself I didn't like, you know, just come up with it on the fly. No, but I, I think I knew instinctively that it meant something, you know, and I, I, I'm going to take pride in that, that like, I may not have known the full scope of choosing it at the beginning, but now it's become so much more meaningful and it makes sense. Like why I was instinctively drawn toward, you know, our Philippines national flower. So thank you both for sharing that. Wow. I just learned so much about you both. I feel like we need to take like a 15 minute break, but we're going to keep going because that's what we do. Okay. So the next part of the logo, (laughs) next part of the logo is we decided to update the font to be more modern. And also when you look at the logo, especially on a podcast, when you look from your phone, it's usually small. And so we wanted to be able to one, have the logo be modern or the font be modern. And then two, we wanted it to pop. And so we've updated the logo so that for those reasons, <laughs> so that it's more modern and it can pop and it can be something that you see in addition to the flower as you're scrolling through trying to find your podcast show for our show. And I know that we've had listeners appreciate even the yellow background because they feel like it stands out out of all of their podcast shows that they subscribe to, which now that I think about it, I don't really see a lot of podcast shows with a yellow background. So it's, it's really cool to get that feedback, to know that like when they find our podcast, they find our podcast. <laughs> and so it just means a world that again, like instinctively, I guess I knew yellow would make sense and would work for this brand. I work for our show here. Okay. So we've introduced a new color into our logo and it's the color green. We decided to put emphasis on the green stem to represent growth so much that we decided to link the stem to the word F in Filipino. And the whole font, the title itself is actually green to represent growth, to make the font pop out and to be in connection to this flower. That was actually like my designer's idea. And then when I saw that, actually, no, was it? No, I'm sure it was like a combination of feedback from everyone to like, be like, Hey, should you connect the flower with the title kind of thing? And when I saw that design, when I saw that draft, I was like, wow, you know, it's funny because at first I, I didn't want green in the logo, but based on our listener feedback and people on biasboba.com, like that design, like stood out to everyone. Nani, what are some of the feedback you got 
And even for you, like why that logo with the green font attached to the flower stood out to you? Yeah. Well, I think, well, first of all, thank all of you who reached out to us to give your feedback. We got such an outpour of responses when we asked for that. And it was really important for us to do that because, you know, Jen and I went through the first few rounds of picking the different options for the different logo redesigns. But after we narrowed it down to like the three that we really liked, it was really important for us to know what you guys like, because essentially you're the one that's going to be looking at it on your phone or your computer, wherever you're looking at it, your iPad, whatever people use now, you're the one that's going to be looking at it. So it was important for us that you guys liked it and that you felt a part of that process. And yeah, at first I wasn't, I wasn't taking to the green font, but it grew on me. And I think that it is more symbolic for the font to kind of grow into the stem because they're connected. And I think it also makes for a more interesting, like visual appeal. So yeah, yeah, I like it. I'm happy with it. And we hope you guys are too. Yeah. Yeah. So initially the flower, like once we chose the green font to make the Filipino American woman like pop, um, I realized that the title was overtaking the flower. And so I had asked our designer to darken the petals so that the flower came off as strongly as the title. So, you know, we still have gray in there, which the gray helps, you know, outline the petals. And then the last thing, the last thing is that I should really be highlighting as I go, because people are like, Jen, what are you reading? (laughs) The last thing is the word project. So we decided to make the word project, or at least when I saw my designer do this and she made the word project subtle, I actually really liked it because again, it puts more emphasis on the Filipino American woman, which is what we are intentionally trying to do. And so the project is subtle at the very bottom. It's a different font. It's white and it's there but it doesn't like dominate or it doesn't compete with the flower and the title, the Filipino American woman. So with that said, if you are watching this, I mean, of course, the beauty is if you're listening to the podcast, you will see the logo be updated on episode 100. So just be on the lookout for that. But also if you're watching via video, I'm going to go ahead and scroll down now (laughs) and show you what we're going to move forward with. So here we go. (laughs) It's so pretty. Stacy, I, I know I caught you in the middle of drinking, but initial thoughts, because you were part of this too. For me, it was important to include you in this, especially toward the final decision-making, because you've been a part of our journey from basically the very beginning, and you continue to support us with the Bulosan Center and with the interns. And so I wanted to run this by you. And I just thought in looking at this, what are your initial thoughts? Right. I saw, was it yesterday that I saw it? Probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really liked, again, everything you said, highlighting the Filipino-American woman, saying how we are all individually unique, and yet we all come together to represent the national flower of the Philippines, which is very beloved aspect of the Philippines. I love it. I mean, I like the original one too, but this one speaks to the transformation again that TIFA has gone through. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of Filipino-Americans, I think, have gone through in the last yeah. five as well. I mean, I'm seeing in the publications that are coming out, I'm seeing in the community organizing that's rising. So I think that it's really appropriate and fateful, I guess, that you decided to change the logo now to represent everything that's unique about being Filipina in America. Oh, your words of approval mean so much to me. 
Yeah, no, I really like what you said about it being representative of the transformation in our community. I think that that's a beautiful way to put it. I think that's a beautiful way to look at the motive even behind it. And yeah, I just, I could stare at it all day. (laughs) It it would be a very beautiful sticker on anyone's laptop. I can see the under Oh, yes. If you guys make stickers, because I know a lot of our Instagram (laughs) friends on our Instagram community make stickers or have cool Etsy shops or something like that. If anyone wants to make stickers and collaborate with us, please let me know. Yeah. First, apply to be a guest on our show. (laughs) I'll talk about logistics. (laughs) First, apply to be a guest. And then we will talk. But yeah, I love it. Like, you know, for me, I appreciate everything that you all are sharing. And it means so much that you're a part of this conversation with me. And yeah, it means so much for me to, you know, enter a new season on the show and to represent our growth. And this wasn't just like the first logo was my decision. This logo was everyone else's decision. And I'm so proud of it. I'm so proud that our listeners have come together. Just like what Nani said, we had a ton of feedback from all of you and even just you know, tips or suggestions. And, you know, at the end of the day, like this was just something that sat really well with us where I can see us moving forward for the next 100 episodes. So there you have it, y'all. Like if you are watching um, via YouTube, this is our logo. And of course you're going to see this logo moving forward in your podcast. It's going to now pop up. I know some of our listeners emailed us saying like, I can't wait to see it pop up in my, you know, in my podcast app. Like I can't wait to see the update. And so here it is. (laughs) All right. So I'm going to go ahead and stop sharing my screen now. So, you know, all of this is to say that we are declaring that we're Filipino American women, as well as, you know, our non-binary listeners as well. And, and however you identify anyone that resonates with the show, like we are here for you. We are in support with you. Are we in support of you? And I also just, you know, with everything that's going on right now, I've been doing a lot of reflecting and still trying to find my words in regards to what's going on with the anti-Asian hate crimes. And I just believe for myself that I want to encourage all of you is if you want more representation, it's important to support shows like this. You want to be able to support things that represent you. And this is one of those platforms. And so, you know, if you want to support us, whether it's share our show or biasboba.com, Support the things that reflect you. And I can't stress that enough because we all are inundated with enough things already that tell us that we're not enough. But I do believe that you have the power in you and together as a community to continue to remind ourselves that we are enough. And it means supporting things that enforce that, that encourage that. And so that's really the big message I want to say here is to support our show whether it's to share it, to engage with us, to biasboba.com. But either way, if you like what we have going on here, if you like our mission, if you like what we've been doing, continue to support us. Nani, I just want to see if you had any thoughts on that, especially with, I feel like everything that's going on right now, I feel like we have to continue to strengthen ourselves as a community. And if we can facilitate that on the show, and if you all feel like we are facilitating that to continue to support us. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I would say it's important right now to feed into the things that you think represent you. And that's how you amplify our visibility in this world, point blank. In addition to that, a lot of people have reached out to me specifically like non-Asian friends asking how they can support in this moment, where they can donate to, what they can do. I've been referring them to the Stop AAPI Hate campaign, 
which I think is important to rally behind because they are the ones doing all of this research and putting out all this information and really the feet that are on the ground doing this work. In addition to that, I've seen a lot of grandkids of some of the elders that have been attacked create GoFundMes for their grandparents' medical bills and recovery and things like that. Um, so that's also a good place to donate if you're wondering how you can monetarily support those affected in the community right now. I'm sure Stacy will have a wealth of knowledge to offer here as well in terms of resources that you can turn to. But outside of that, outside of, you know, like monetary donations and things like that, I think it's even more important to refer them to like educational resources to read about, like the Making of Asian America book by Erica Lee, which you can get on Amazon or wherever books are sold. You can read it on Audible if you don't like to do, like Stacy said, the labor, the actual labor of reading a book. I can relate to that. That's why I listen to my books on Audible. But even if you don't want to do that, you know, there are specific things you can research, like the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1980. I don't know the year. Stacy, help me out. 1882 and uh, 1891, 92 again. Yeah. There you go. That, you know, there are a lot of specific things and I'm going to try and also put together a blog post on my blog. That's going to be a little hub of resources of things that you can research on your own. Even if you are a part of the Asian community, like I said, you know, through reading this book alone, I'm learning about a lot of things that I never knew that I think are important to know, not just about the Filipino community, but Asian Americans in general. It's important, I think, to promote cross-cultural learning and education. While we obviously specifically focus on Filipino American history and culture and identity here on this show, it's also important to know the stories of Japanese Americans, of Chinese Americans, of, you know, everyone that's in this community that we all share and that we're all being lumped into inevitably together. Awesome. And part of the reason why I dragged Stacy into this episode of 100 is I want you to support her. <laughs> support her. She does a lot yes. of things like she puts in a ton of heart and passion and sweat and tears. I mean, I don't know if Stacy sweats. She seemed just amazing. <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, she but doesn't support, have sweat glands. <laughs> support Stacy and the Below Sun <laughs> and the Below Sun Center. So Stacy, I want you to shamelessly tell plug us yourself. a plug you and the Below Sun Center because we need to continue to feed into things that represent us. We just do. So yes, we have a media platform like this. We are not the only ones. There are other Filipina podcasters out there, as many of you know. So, you know, continue to support the media outlets that represent you, support the nonprofits that represent you. One of them being Stacy and the Below Sun Center. So Stacy, go ahead and do your shameless plug. Like just be completely unapologetic and shameless. And if it helps explain why, <laughs> why they should support the Bullison Center. Oh my God. <laughs> so hard for her. <laughs> I just love making Stacy really uncomfortable and she lets me do it. Like, that's why I keep doing it. Like Look, she's <laughs> Stacy is too humble to <laughs> brag about the Bullison Center and how much like incredible, invaluable work that they do and how much of a significance they hold in the Filipino American community. 
period, but we are not too shy to, <laughs> to say that. So yeah. with that said, Stacy, for those who haven't already heard about the Bulo Sun Center and what it is you guys do, why don't you just give a brief description <laughs> of what you guys do at the Bulo Sun Center so people can understand what is so significant about it? Oh my God, my heart's like beating so fast when you <laughs> ask me to <laughs> fully plug, shamelessly plug the Below Sun Center. I am very proud of the Below Sun Center. I'm proud of all the kids, the youth, the mentors, professors, the graduate students who make up the Below Sun Center and the community that supports us. It was a dream of Dr. Rodriguez, who is a sociologist by training, who is also the chair of Asian American Studies at UC Davis. It was her dream to have a Philippine X research center that would directly help our communities, not just in California, but also abroad in the diaspora. I met her by fate. I was struggling in my field and I love her for saving me. Um, and I, I took an undergrad class just to, you know, understand more about why Philippinex studies is essential for our survival as a community, as Asian Americans. And so yeah, I just stumbled upon it. I told her, you know, because the class was full. I said, okay, just give me, is it okay then? Do you want me to like drop the class so an undergrad can take my seat and then I do an independent study with you? And so that relationship, everything out of the Sun Center, what I love about it is that everything we do has intention. Everything we do is to support one another. And my fellow graduate students and colleagues, RJ, Kat, Wayne, Nicholas, um, Jason, uh, Robin, there's how many others? I think RJ, Wayne, Kat, me, Nicholas, J, uh, Wayne, RJ, Kat. Yeah, um, Dr. Rodriguez, all of us, you know, we're all from different fields. And we made the Below Sun Center with no, with no money. We had no money. In 2018, it was just a dream. We met in the summer and we just wanted to help. And I just wanted to help teach. And I was the low-key decorator of all of our <laughs> events. I made everything. I made the Baha'i Kubos from Popsicle Sticks. And, you know, at that night we had the banquet. Um, the community just showed up, gave us $30,000. And we thought we can do more. And we asked the state. And then the state gave us a million. And, you know, that put us on wow. the map. And we still do what we sought to do in the beginning was we want to create a platform for education, research, collect that research data and the tools we use to educate, drawing from ethnic studies, philosophies and interdisciplinary philosophies. And we brought that information to the state so that we can advocate for policies that would invest in our communities and invest in our representation on not just a state level, but also in a diasporic you know, worldview of what it is that Philippinex face every day as um, people who are still suffering from settler colonialism. So that is the Belosan Center. And I'm, I'm just very proud of my colleagues and the interns who have allowed me to mentor them. God bless all of them because they are the sweet, one of the sweet, innocent aspects of what makes the Belosan Center unique. It's because they want to do it. Even though they're crammed with all the schoolwork and the expectations of being a youth coming of age in the early 21st century, right? And social media doesn't make it make you feel any better. They still come out and show up. Yes. And mm. gives me a lot of hope. So that's the Below Sun Center in a nutshell. I'm I'm just the senior historian. I try to mentor as much as I can, but I can't do any of it without my colleagues. 
Yeah. And again, community, you know, it's a collective effort, right? And so collectively, let's support Stacy and the Bulosan Center, whether it's learning more about it or even donating, you know, yes. so you could either help our show or you can help the Bulosan Center, but this is all very needed. And I tend to find, and this is something that like something that really stuck with me with our conversation with our D's is that at the end of the day, sometimes it comes down to funding, like to make anything possible. Mm -hmm. And so even if it's as little as donating, you know, to continue the Bulosan Center or, you know, helping us here at biasboba.com to continue to publish these episodes, a little can go a long way. Yes. You all know as <laughs> Filipino Americans, how difficult it is to gain access to that type of information or to any kind of Filipino American history, especially if you're not in academia. So that alone should, you know, give you more than enough reason to support the Bulosan Center and what they're doing. Yeah. Ah, well, to both of you, I just want to say thank you again so much for being here. To our listeners and to our supporters on biasboba.com, I want to let you all know we will give you a shout out in the next episode. Admittingly, there was a lot. We poured a lot into our episode today. And so I'd like to believe at this point, episode 100, you'll give us grace to, you know, continue our conversation and the upcoming episodes. But I hope that, you know, I'm really excited for this new logo and I'm excited to see it for the next 100 episodes. Nani, just thank you again from the very beginning for being involved. And Stacey, thank you for being here still, you know, and continuing to support. I just love that this has been a collective experience for all of us. And I just want to keep going. I just want to keep focusing on that. I want to keep doing this together, growing together because we're stronger together than we are apart. And yeah, I think that's my closing thoughts. Something to expect in the upcoming episodes is we will give a shout out to the members. We're going to, we're going to take some time to really like speak highly of people. So get ready. <laughs> so if you're not on biasboba.com, you might want to get on there just so we can say something really nice about you. I was thinking about like a really fun activity of like pulling out like compliment cards and just like, you know, anyway, I'll come up with something fun for those people, but we'll bring that up and also talk about listener feedback. But for now, I think this is a great way to end our conversation. So Stacey, I just want to start with you. Any closing thoughts before we go? I'm really happy that there is a community present for TFAL. I'm happy that the TFAL ladies thought to invite me today. And for those interested in the Below Sun Center, we have internships all year round and Pacific Atrocities Education, which also highlights the World War II and the Pacific Theory, they always they also have internships all year round. And again, you can get mentorships or if you just need another manang or sister to talk to, you know, the Below Sun Center is there. So again, you know, thank you for having me. And I'm very happy to be here, especially with what transpired this week. I think the logo, the conversation of the logo and how Asian American women are transforming society every single day. I think all of that is actually speaking to fate right now. So thank you for letting me be a part of that. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Nani, closing thoughts? <laughs> so if you guys are already subscribed to our newsletter and already received that every week, you have seen our trailer for our little teaser of our membership platform, which is available now for you to sign up on, on biasphoba.com. And we will be diving into more of what that's going to entail in future episodes, but we are, you know, after this point going to be slowing down with Tifa a little bit so that we can split our time between creating content for 
the TIFA project, as well as our new platform, our new membership platform on biasboba.com called Christmas with Jen and Nani. And um, yes, just stay tuned. We have our launch for that coming soon. We're planning for it now. And I think if you guys felt the love today or, you know, in the past two years that we've been doing this project and appreciate the sisterhood that we've created and want to be more of a collaborative part of that, this is a great opportunity for you to do that and continue to build community and be in community with us. And um, again, just find sisterhood. So yes, there's that available on biasboba.com. Go and sign up for our membership. Thank you. Love you. <laughs> Love you. Bye. Yeah. And just to add upon that, thank you, Nani, for reminding me of it. That's so funny. Like that was like not even my agenda. I was just so excited about the logo <laughs> and having Stacy on. I was like, I got Stacy again. I just like to reel Stacy in here because she lets me do it. And cause I love her and she loves me. So here we go. But yeah, so one thing to keep in mind with Christmas with Jen and Nani, it is going to be a private feed. You're not going to find it on the, like if you search for it on your regular podcasting preferred platform, you're not going to find it. You actually have to get a special invitation, a unique URL, like a unique RSS feed that is specific for you. And so if you would like to have access to that, like, just like what Nani said, and just like how I've been observing in every new episode, I just feel like we continue to have these deeper conversations and I feel like we need to have more of them. And that is going to require a lot of our time and our own resources with Nani and I. And so, you know, we are at a place where we want to encourage all of you to continue to support us, especially financially. And part of the benefit of that is the fact that we are going to sort of veer away from our normal interviews. I mean, we're still going to do them, of course but we are going to slow down on them to focus on more specific topics within our community and, you know, things that people want to talk about uh, specifically to serve our community and those who ally with us. So all of that, if you want to learn more about it, of course, check out biasboba.com and we're going to have some offers if y'all are interested in it. So stay tuned for those special offers on how you can get access to that private feed. And yeah, I, I want to leave it there. Like I haven't talked to Nani about it openly, so that's why I'm not getting specific here, but we will have some, you know, special updates, giveaways, opportunities to be able to get access to that private feed and just continue to be in sisterhood with us. All right. I think that's a great way to wrap up our conversation. I feel like the last 30 minutes was like all call to action as they should be, because we can't just be all talk. So I just want to thank you all again. And to our listeners, of course, if you have any questions or you want to reach out to us, our phone number is 415-484-8329. And of course you can always get everything on our fabulous website, tifaproject.com, T-F-A-W project.com. Remember I worked really hard on that and also subscribe to our newsletter, which Nani has worked really hard on as well. So so we love you all. Just welcome to a new season, essentially a new chapter in the Tifa project. We hope that you like the new logo. We hope that you resonate with why we chose it or why we revamped it the way that we did. And we're just excited to enter this new season. So until then, yeah, tune in next time. <laughs> all right. Bye.